0: We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Laura, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother
1: and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a guest talks all about worthiness and knowing that you are enough as a mother. Kelly's wake-up call came when her son was diagnosed with Asperger's at age five and she knew that she had to find a way to deal with the perfectionism and self-doubt that affected her as a mother. This message is so important for every mother who's ever felt like they are not enough. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today. Laura and I are here with a special guest. Her name is Kelly Covert and she's going to be sharing with us a little bit about her journey into motherhood. Kelly is a speaker, a writer, and she does coaching work around helping women find their inner voice and kind of tap into that. Um, Kelly, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself
2: and we'll go from there? Sure, sure. So like you said, I'm an inner voice coach and what I'm passionate about doing is helping women connect with and live by their inner voice. I feel like We have so many external and voices in our head that tell us who we should be and what we should look like and how good at mothering we are or we aren't and all of these things. And it really gets crowded up there. And what I do is I help women clear that space out, clear the clutter and really get connected with their inner voice, because I believe when we listen and live by our inner voice, we are going to be living our best life, a life that's filled with joy and love and excitement. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to live.
1: Totally. That sounds really nice. Um, So what were the, what were the circumstances that led you to doing this work? Were you, was this kind of always natural for you? Was it something that you kind of had to go through the trenches before you came to this point of, of
2: identifying this curiosity and this passion? It definitely was not always natural. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like the journey that I have lived has absolutely brought me to this place where now I feel I have to share it with other women. And for me, it really started in my very young years, you know, as a kid, having to be the best at everything and having to. Mm-hmm. You know, win and be first chair and get straight A's. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. And even as I got older, I felt like I just was never good enough. No matter what I did, no matter how many degrees I got, or acknowledgments, or pats on the back, or accolades, it was never enough. And I became totally addicted to that external validation. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't listening at all to what my inner voice was telling me. Because if I had listened, I would have heard her saying, you're enough right now. Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep doing all of this. And for me, it really came to a head when I had my first son. Mm -hmm. Because motherhood, in my mind, was something that any, any woman should be able to do and we should just be able to figure it out and be perfect at it. And when I realized that I wasn't perfect, I felt like I was failing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to be an imperfect mother, but yet I could never be a perfect mother either. Right. And it was really, really hard for me. And that journey through that time, it was a dark time for me. I think really brought me over to this other side of understanding that if I don't love myself now, I can't fully love my kids. Mm-hmm. I can't fully love the people around me. Like I have to give myself what I need first in order to be able to fully give that to my kids.
1: Right. Do you feel like that piece of perfection and and, and wanting that you know the what you'd always pursued in you know your you know your professional life your personal life all those things and and wanting that to kind of transfer over to motherhood did you feel like there was a control element there like this is something I'm, I'm used to used to being able to control these different variables which can kind of contribute to being you know not being perfect but being seen as perfect and you know getting those accolades and all of that how does that fit in for you?
2: Oh, you know, that is such an interesting question and I've never thought about it like that, but you are exactly right because I think that motherhood was the first time in my life where I felt truly out of control Mm -hmm. and my my oldest son was a challenging baby from the moment he took breath (laughs) (laughs) and I couldn't control him. I couldn't control what I thought it should look like. And come to find out, you know, several years down the road when he was five, he was diagnosed with Asperger's. So Mm -hmm. now not only was I a mom, I was a mom of a kid with special needs. And I wanted to be the perfect mom. I wanted to be the mom that everyone could look at and say, Kelly's got it all together. Mm -hmm. She's doing craft projects with her kid and she loves it. You know, and I didn't have a kid that enabled that and I resented that and I grieved it and I felt like it was my fault and it wasn't until I really accepted that I am the best mother that I can be for my child I don't have to read more books. I don't have to do it the way everyone else is doing it because you know what? I don't have a kid like everybody else. Mm. And it was until I came to that moment and it was a dark, it was a dark moment before that. Like it was a dark 11 years before that I feel like. But when I finally came to that realization that I am doing the best that I can and it doesn't have to look like everybody else. It doesn't even have to feel perfect. I just have to to be me and I have mm-hmm. to say I am enough. I am enough for my child. And that's when I was really able to release that control, you know, like I was able mm-hmm. to say my kid is not going to be the kid who's out on, playing on the soccer field. And that's okay. Right. And all of those expectations that I had around what parenting would look like and what parenting would feel like and what I expected my son to do and to be, I just had to let all of that go, and then I finally found that joy in mm-hmm. being a mother that I always wanted. Hmm.
1: And you're saying that this this process took years. This
2: wasn't. Oh like, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Because I feel like so many times, you know, like when we hear about you know the hardships of being a mother, it's like oh, that was a rough couple months or like, you know, we really just couldn't, you know, we really couldn't connect. But then after, you know, this short little season, we kind of figured things out. And I just feel like that can be so discouraging when you when you're in a season that's like not really ending and is really, really hard to see the other, you know, through to the other side of. And I think because I really relate to that part of your story, I, you know, with some different you know details, but I had a really rough start with my first son as well, and it just took years. It just took years and years of like us just kind of blowing things up and not really knowing how to get through that. So I'm I'm encouraged
0: by that. Yeah, and I would say too that you said and you weren't the perfect mom, but you couldn't be the imperfect mom either. And mm. I think that that is just such a space that women and new moms live in for a long time and I think it can become the hallmark of maybe like newborn to toddler age and then some people you know feel the pressure then but I feel like it's something that you will have as long as you're mom like in in the moments of decisions in the moments of growth in the moments of you know what what style of learning what style of play you know all the things you're saying as far as like I wanted to do these things but how do I live in that space of not being the perfect mom but not being the imperfect mom. It's like both are lose-lose in your in your own mind until you can actually see that that's not there's not two categories.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's just it. It's about embracing imperfect. Mm-hmm. It's about embracing good enough right now. And I love this Jill Churchill quote. I mean, I live by it. She says, there's no way to be a perfect mother, but a million ways to be a good one. Right. And to me, that is the hallmark of what we all need to be doing. We don't need to look to Facebook or, you know, our neighbors or our relatives to see how we're supposed to be a good mom, because it's really about what's working for you. What's working for your kids? How can you fully express your own personality inside of your love for your children? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So your son was diagnosed with Asperger's when, how old did you say he was, five?
2: He was five. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Was that something that you guys anticipated? Was it a total surprise?
2: You know, that's really interesting. We We had sort of signs that not everything was as it should be. And, you know, we would bring it up with our pediatrician and it was always sort of like, oh, he's just a boy. And mm-hmm. that's how boys are. And when we were approaching kindergarten, that's when I really had a long conversation with my pediatrician. I was like, I'm worried. I'm worried about how he's going to do. And he's like, he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And if he's not fine, you'll know like the first week of kindergarten. Not that that's any consolation. Right. Right. I was like, that's what you're going to tell me. And sure enough, we were getting phone calls the first week. And that was a rough year. That was a really Mm -hmm. rough year because I was very defensive. Like I wanted everyone to see all of my kids amazing qualities and it felt like all, all they were seeing were the challenging parts of him. Hmm. And then of course I took that on myself. Like this is my fault. I'm not doing enough. I'm not figuring it out. And when he was diagnosed for like five minutes, I felt, something akin to relief, sure. like, oh, it wasn't me. It's Hmm. not my fault. And then after that five minutes passed so quickly, (laughs) I was back into that zone of like, okay, now what do I do? Now I'm the mom of a special needs kid. How do I advocate? How do I do everything by the book? I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many books that I bought on autism and I feel that none of those helped me as much as getting to this place where I trust what my inner voice tells me I need to do with my kid. That is what changed my parenting. Not Hmm. any book I read, not any seminar I took, not anything that anybody told me, but just trusting that I had what I needed to have for him.
1: Right. I'm curious what you think too of you know, your pediatrician's approach and not to throw them under the bus at all. But, you know, I've, I've heard that before. I've heard it said that, you know, especially with certain special needs that, you know, it won't really come out until, you know, until they're in an educational setting. And, and I wonder how you feel about that, if you feel like that's, you know, selling families short of, you know, being able to, to kind of find equilibrium sooner.
2: I think that's a really good question. And I always, I'm an optimist in every way. I always look for good. Mm-hmm. And um, someone else may not have the same experience in life as me because of that personality trait of mine. Sure. But I think our pediatrician did the best he could. Mm-hmm. And he's not living with my kid. You know, he sees him every three, four, five, six months and he hears us talking about him, but he wasn't living with him, he wasn't experiencing that. And I think for Ryan, my son's name is Ryan, he is super high functioning. Mm -hmm. And so he was always really precociously smart from even a toddlerhood. And I think that sometimes covers up other deficiencies that, you know, when you're talking about young kids, especially boys, you know, well, they're aggressive. Well, most young boys are aggressive or Mm -hmm. they don't, they're not social. Well, that's really common. So, um, because it wasn't super, you know, high on the scale of those things, we didn't really have any basis for knowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like almost like there were not polar extremes And so
2: you kind of did have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. That's that's what I hear you saying.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, 2020 hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I think I would have advocated more for testing earlier on. And I think that that would have helped us in kindergarten. So instead Mm -hmm. of dealing with all this while he's starting kindergarten we would have had resources in place before that
1: yeah that's exactly what i'm asking like if you feel that would have been beneficial to have kind of gone into the educational experience with a little more you know clarity on the situation
2: absolutely but this gets right back to what i was saying i really believe that in my gut i knew yeah You know, but I didn't trust it Mm -hmm. because here's this doctor telling me everything's going to be okay. And here's my mother-in-law and my mom saying, oh, he's just a boy. And, um, you know, when it comes down to something like that, that's what I wanted to believe.
1: Hmm.
2: So it's, again, back to that place of really trusting what our heart is telling us. If I hadn't thought that, I would have never brought it up in an appointment you know it was there I think I just chose to ignore it
1: yeah yeah it's easy to dismiss those things especially when you like you said you're coming from this place of just you know kind of managing the the obviously the just the day-to-day of being a parent but also like from this perspective of trying to be the perfect parent and you know keep every you want everything to you don't want there to be something that is you know, going to be an uphill battle, even though your experience of being a mother is an uphill battle. Um, Exactly. And
2: I think that's where we get into trouble as moms. You mentioned something about how sometimes you hear people say, oh, that was a rough couple of months. I don't, I would venture to say that a mother who says that is not being completely honest. Right. And I think if more moms can really stand up and say, it's freaking hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's okay, then I think we would all love each other more. I think we would have a lot less comparison and I think we would all love ourselves more. So I'm so thankful that you guys are doing this because it's a message that mothers need to hear that it's okay to not have everything be perfect all of the time and in fact, that's how it is most of the time and that's so wonderful and it's so okay.
1: Yeah. That is exactly why we do this. I mean, I think we you know, watching so many women transition to motherhood and just feel like, yeah, there there's there's no transparency there. There's no real life there and it's it we're just, you know, siloed and experiencing the trenches on our own and we, you know, it's it's harder than ever, certainly like you said earlier in the Facegram and you know, the Facebook and Instagram world that we live in now. Um but it's, you know, so much more pervasive than that.
2: For sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think another piece of that that's always present, you know, in, in the same vein as vulnerability is like also complimenting one another and acknowledging each other's strengths or successes. If I mean, I think successes is hard, a hard word to apply to being a mom. I think it's also just knowing also about yourself and knowing your own intuition and knowing the things that you are doing that are that are working mm-hmm. and instead of showing those as like these perfect days where everything went well you know in that same vein of conversation we're like I'm having a really hard time but you know we did this thing and it was actually really great I think like it's almost like the same kind of the same kind of vulnerability like a vulnerability to also believe in yourself as a mom yeah um, yeah which I think you know we struggle with as women in general accepting compliments giving compliments we just assume everybody feels perfect because we think their life looks perfect on the outside.
2: Yeah. One of one of the things I really feel like has been a gift in my life that my son has given me is number one, really understanding what it means to love yourself. I mean that's huge. That's why I do what I do now because of him. Like if it had not been for him, I think I would still be on that same path of performing. For my worthiness. Mm. And I'm so grateful. Like, I'm so grateful for everything that I've experienced in the challenges of motherhood because it is that, that is the reason why I do what I do. But the other piece of it for me is I have so much compassion and so much empathy for the mom standing in target with the screaming kid. Mm. And for the, the mom that's embarrassed by their kid who's not being everything they think that they should be, I have deep compassion for that woman. And I feel like I'm the crazy lady who comes up to you and touches you on the arm and says, you're doing a great job. Mm. Because those are the hard moments. Those are the moments when we need the most acknowledgement of what we're doing and I think if we can do that more and pull those people in who are having those public vulnerable moments where they feel terrible and love them and know that they're not alone that that will really change how we view motherhood
1: yeah yeah it's one thing to be like you know to have these experiences of motherhood that are really can be shameful and and we aren't willing to be vulnerable about them because we don't want to be seen as weak. It's another thing to have that, you know, that public experience. It's just, I mean, it's humiliating. And you know that, you know, you, you know, or think that every eye on the plate, every eye in the place is on you, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, that's a really, really hard place to be. And I, I love that you're, I love that you're one of the ones that will go up and, <laughs> and say something because I know how transformative that can be having been yeah, on
0: the other actually, side of that. Um, I was talking last night with um, a friend of my sister's and she had, um, I, think it, I think he was 15 months and they decided to go on this trip to China and Japan. So if you can imagine taking a 15-month-old baby with you on a trip like that.
2: I would not um, even take my <laughs> 14-year-old son on a trip like that.
0: <laughs> I know. And I think, I think part of it, she, she had this, you know, and we, we do this. This is like an uh, even just another side note where it's like, I'm having a kid and nothing will change. Mm. You know, and so she had committed to go to this trip because like, this is really important to me. This is part of my life is taking these trips. And she took college students over there with her husband. And she was like, you know, I don't want this to, you know, I don't want that to change just because we have a kid. Like he'll just go with us. And she said the whole time she was in China, like people like were, would look at them because obviously they were part of it was like their skin color and they're traveling in places where they don't see a lot of white people. But like nobody would like get like to get on the subway like nobody got out of her way like it's just kind of like very busy and all this kind of stuff kind of culture and then then when she went to japan she said everywhere she went there was this like respect like people would ask her like oh can i can i hold your baby for you like you know she's muscling out she's got this big backpack she's got this kid like can i help you or like things like oh he's so beautiful you must be such a good mother (laughs) we can choose like what? What? (laughs) Where is this coming from? And she was like, you know, you know, an exploration, her, you know, for her opinion, was just like the culture there is just so respectful of that space that you have with children. That's just like, it's big and it's hard. And she was like, I just felt like I'm this person who's probably doing this thing that most people would think is completely crazy. And the, the palpable difference between the two places was just more like how we can view ourselves. Like is, this is so, I should be doing better. Like, why Why is this so hard? You know, that's how she felt in China. And then in Japan, she felt like, oh, well, like, this is a lot. And I'm actually, like, doing pretty good, you know? <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just from that, like, that sole factor of, like, acknowledgement and respect. And I think that that is, like, that's what I, when you said that about touching, I think about doing that, like, in Target or on an airplane. You just see people that it's just, like, it is a hard day. It is a hard 30 minutes to be a mom, like, the last 30 minutes of a flight. When yeah, it is your kid is upset. Sure. And I think, again, you feel like every single person in the place is against you, not with you.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: right. if you can, if you can be, yeah, like if you can be that voice, like if people listening will turn to that, like how empowering would that be to just be like, or even just to say like she did so good. I, I mean, I, I said that to a mom last time I got off a four hour flight. She did, her daughter did so good until like the last 15 minutes, of course. Right. She's trying yeah. she's, they're landed, we're taxing and she's losing it. And I was just like, I don't let you know, like she did so good and. I hope, you know, like, I hope that she gets some sleep tonight. And she was just like, thank you so much. Like, yeah. like the freedom to be real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in those
1: moments, we don't just encourage that mother. We also model to the rest of our community that like this is the kind of relationship we're meant to have. Like this is the this is the way we're meant to react in these situations. And we show, you know, we help other people remember. Like yes, that child did do really well for the first you know four and a half hours of that flight because, you know, the grumpy old man and the, and whoever else they're just thinking about that last fifteen minutes. So we have a we have like I feel like we have so many opportunities to model, and to be you know, part of like changing the way, the way mothers and the way families and children are seen.
0: I love space
1: that we create for them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So Kelly, tell us you, your son was diagnosed and then that kind of was a catalyst for you to kind of begin to explore, you know, this, this listening, this, this openness to your inner self and your inner voice. Tell us a little bit more about what the next few years looked like
2: well my second son was born when Ryan was a little over 3 and of course you know bringing another baby into a family changes the dynamic a lot mm-hmm. and then when Ryan was diagnosed it was it was very interesting because my my youngest son Noah was the complete opposite of Ryan i mean he was the best baby i mean oh my gosh the kid would sleep for like he would sleep for so long we would be worried Hmm. and coming from my experience with Ryan that was also hard (laughs) like what what is this you know is this how it is is and then I started to understand why some mothers couldn't relate to my experience with Ryan because everyone's experience is different every kid is different and for sure when we got into school that brought its own challenges. When you have a kid that's on the spectrum, I really had to learn how to advocate for him Mm -hmm. because he couldn't. And the way that his challenges show up often comes out as bad behavior, what people would think of as being bad behavior. Mm and it's not it's him not being able to function the way we expect him to be able to function and a lot of times the only way that he can express himself especially when he was younger was having a meltdown or throwing a tantrum or running away he he ran away at school a couple of times which was very scary but it was just the only thing that he knew and i really had to become an advocate for him i had to help teachers understand what was happening and create a language for them around his behavior mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately sometimes it was much much harder than it needed to be because educators get in this mindset that this is what kids should look like and right. if your kid doesn't look like that then something's wrong with them Yeah. and i really had to fight for him i mean i remember being in meetings and you know they would be talking about his behavior and i would say look you know if if i had a kid in a wheelchair and you asked him to walk and he couldn't walk you would not punish him for that
1: hmm.
2: and oftentimes that's what they were doing they were asking him to do things that he wasn't able to do and so that's something that i've learned and that's been very powerful and now i mean he's 14 now so now I'm having to teach him how to advocate for himself. Right. How to speak up and say, I'm frustrated, I don't understand this. I need to take a break and you know, fortunately we have a lot of help. We've found really great therapists and people that help us and the school that he's at is wonderful and super flexible. Does and he so, go to
1: a public school or some he, other he variations. does. He.
2: We did have him in a charter school for mm-hmm. a while because the elementary that he was at was very rigid and we all really struggled with that. And so we put him in a charter school for several years and then transitioned him back into public school in our district when he was in middle school. And that's been good. It's been very good for him. And he really enjoys it. And I'm really happy with where we are right now with teachers and school psychologists and all of navigating all of that challenge. Hmm. But the other piece of our challenge has been with our youngest son, who is neurotypical. And in many ways, emotionally, he's much more mature than his older brother. And that's hard, that's a hard thing to put on a little kid. Yeah. And so we have to make sure that we're paying attention to that also. Because when you have one kid with special needs, oftentimes the other one gets overlooked because they're the easy one. Yeah. yeah. And so we really have to understand him for where he is and and make an effort to not, not, I I don't want to say ignore him, but not just sort of sit him to the side and say everything's okay. Right. Because he has needs too. And so that's been, I think lately, our biggest challenge is just navigating that.
1: Mm. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say like, you kind of hit on this, but not assuming that he's not also going through things that, you know, he needs your engagement on. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I have a an eight-year-old and just had a newborn and it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because my older one is the challenging one and not on the spectrum. Um, but when he was younger, we explored that he might be. Um, and, you know, he just to this day, he's just, he's just a challenging kid. You know, he pushes all the boundaries. He's very sensitive. He's very, you know, um, you know, kind of like his sensory issues are are really prominent. Um, and our daughter that was just born is like, I mean, she just sits in a chair while I make dinner. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of easy to just put her in the chair while I make dinner. And not that there's anything wrong with doing that. It's great to be able to make dinner hands-free, but it's easy to just kind of assume that, oh, well, she she's fine. Just because she's not calling for me doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean she doesn't need me.
2: Right. And I just want to speak into something you said about your son. You said, he's not on the spectrum, but we, ha- we explored that. And I think sometimes as moms, we look around and we're struggling, right? With mm-hmm. whatever the situation is in our own house, under our own roof. And sometimes we, we can look at another situation that seems more difficult
0: mm-hmm. and
2: say, um, and feel bad, that we're finding it so hard. You know, feel guilt about that. right? And I think it's really important to acknowledge that what you're in, what every one of us is in, is hard, no matter what it looks like. Yeah, And um, really kind of give yourself that credit for doing what you're doing. So yeah, maybe he's not on the spectrum, that doesn't mean it's easy. And right. that doesn't mean it's easier than, than what someone else has, it's all, relative.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a huge part, I think, of every woman's story, is, is finding their way to, 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 you know, understanding that part of their experience and being able to voice it. Because I do think it's easy to look at, you know, the person with a child that has, you know, severe disabilities or, you know, someone that has had a loss that seems more significant than yours and to, to minimize your own experience.
2: Yeah. And I think it's important that we don't, that we don't do that. We have to acknowledge what we are going through because that's how we grow. Mm -hmm. So the last few years now,
1: I, I know earlier on you kind of mentioned like a sort of an 11 year mark, which sounds like that would have been about three years ago. Is that kind of when you came to this point where you started pursuing this as your work?
2: Yeah, it was actually, I think it was probably when Ryan was about nine or 10 that I, I can tell you the story because I remember vividly the night. It was one of those days and I decided to put myself in a mommy timeout during dinner because I, I didn't even want to be around him anymore. Hmm. And of course I felt horribly guilty for thinking that. And I went up to my room and I just sobbed on my bed, like, what is wrong with me? I am a mother that doesn't wanna even be around her kid. Like, there, there is something wrong with me. And that night, my husband put everyone to bed, and I remember going into my son's room, going into Ryan's room, and laying down on the bed next to him, and he was asleep. And I, you know, put my arm around him, and I just wanted to remember what it was like to just be with my kid and to not have all of the angst and not have all of the emotion, the negative emotion. I just wanted to be with him. Mm. And it was in that moment of laying there and I got really still and I got really quiet. We were just breathing together. And that's when I realized, I have to love me right now if I'm waiting until I do X, Y, Z to love myself, if I feel like I have to prove myself, then I'm never gonna be here with my kid. And I'm always gonna be trying to change him too. Hmm. And that was the moment, that was a real turning point for me because, and it's not like it's been all you know unicorns and rainbows since then, but it's always coming back to that place of I am enough, for me, for my child, for my family right now, even when it's messy, even when it's imperfect, even when I yell, even when I lose my temper, I am absolutely enough. And so that has become a cornerstone of my living. And I feel that's what my coaching has come out of is this knowingness whether you're a mother or not, or whatever you're doing in your life, this knowingness that right now you are enough. You don't have to do one single thing to be worthy. And when we can acknowledge that and love ourselves, that's when we can start loving others with that same unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to do.
1: Yeah. I love that the, you that you use the word worthy. I'm not I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a three on the Enneagram and my um you know the the Enneagram is a is a personality um type system and each one has a you know a core desire and a core fear and then um this super ego message and mine is all about worthiness. It's all about, you know, feeling like I'm You know, I will be worthy or I will be valuable based on my achievements or based on my, you know, my success or how people think of me. And so, you know, what you kind of shared in the beginning is very much, very much my story. And I love that you use that word worthy because I think that we all, you know, and, and maybe some of us that are more geared that way more than others. But I think that we all, we all equate our worthiness with, you know, how, how we're, doing, how we're managing to, you know, to, contr- to control and contribute and be, um, on top of things in our life. And it's just not, it's just not possible.
2: No. And Worthy, I'm interested, I'm not familiar with the personality typing that you talk about. I'm, I want to get information on that when we're yeah, done because I'm some. interested in that. Yeah, But, um, yeah, I, Worthy is a core desired feeling for me. Like that is yeah. something that I live my life by. So much so in December, so I'm 43, just to give you guys some perspective. And I got my first tattoo in December as a gift to myself. And nice. I had Worthy tattooed on my arm because I live by it. Like it, this is not just something that I talk about. <laughs> like this is what I live i am worthy you are worthy and i think that the more we can get the message out to all women to all moms that you're enough right now that you don't have to keep performing for that then we're going to start stepping into that confident feminine power that we have and that's where our strength is hmm. that's
0: really- i totally I agree with that. And I'll say, like, I, you know, I don't know you well, Kelly, I know Melissa very well, but I think that something that can become, a, you know, something that stands in that path is that, is, the, is that transition from, I've lived a life where I can actually go and do things that make me feel worthy. And then I, that other people can also see my worth. So for whether that's your job whether that's, you know, your works, you know, maybe like you serve or your relationships. And you can kind of almost do that in a, in a romantic or a partner relationship too, because you kind of, you can, you know, you can get, you can get married or you can have this relationship that again, to everyone else looks like this, this is, this is a good relationship. That's where my, you know, and that's, that makes you feel worth, but then you have a kid, a child and a child is something that, that someone that lives outside of your body that you find worth in. Like, or that you feel that worth is measured, but mm. they don't feel that way.
1: Hmm.
0: Like, they, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think kids feel that way about their moms. Like they don't sit there and think like, are you worthy or not to be my mom? Right. No, I they, agree. They feel the opposite. They're like, you are, as soon as they are born, you are worthy to be their mom. And it's like, if we could actually like captivate that from them that energy and that like love and feel it towards ourselves, that would be, that that power would be uncontrollable because that's a thing.
2: That is so beautiful, Laura. I'm so glad that you, that you said that because that's, it's so interesting. An exercise that I use really frequently with my clients is imagining holding yourself as a newborn. Hmm. So imagine that you've just taken your first breath And then looking at that newborn, and sometimes it's easier to think of your own child first before you can think of yourself in that place. But as a parent, we would do anything for that baby. You know, anything. And what have they done? They've done nothing. They've hurt us. (laughs) Right? (laughs) They've Mm -hmm. caused us great pain. And the moment after that, we would lay down our life for that child. I guarantee you every single mother would feel that way. And that's that's the worthiness that we all have inside of us. From the moment we're born, it's there. And then we stack up all of the story and you know untruths about who we are, who we need to be, and that buries it. It doesn't mean it's not there anymore, though. It's still there. And so a lot of the work that I do is about peeling back all of those layers, and finding that again, revealing it, it's there. But we definitely have to practice to tap into it and to understand it.
1: Yeah, that is such a a great picture. I I mean, I just immediately visualized it myself. And, you know, having a more or less a newborn right now makes it a little easier for me. But you're right, that was the first thing that I could picture was holding her. And then I was able to kind of like, you know, transcend that a little bit and envision myself in that same place, and it's it's a really powerful image because you're right. There's nothing they've done to earn, you know, our our love or our the the, the devotion that would enable us to do anything for them. They they haven't done anything to earn that. They just they just are. Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. is a very beautiful image. Wow. So you, I, I read in some of your biography that you, a few years ago, I love the way you phrase this, that you um, set out to do a year of intentional underachieving. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that looked like? I love that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my year of in, in being an intentional underachiever. It was the year that I turned 40 mm-hmm. and I, I was just flat out exhausted. I was so freaking tired of hustling for my worthiness, as Brene Brown so eloquently put it. And all I knew was overachieving. Yeah, I, That's all that I knew. That's all that I knew how to be. And so I had to be very intentional about it. And I, I told people, like I would say, oh yeah, I'm underachieving this year. Mm. And they would look at me like, what? And for me, it wasn't that I wasn't achieving at all. I mean, I actually had an amazing year that year. I started a business, I did a lot of really cool things, but all of them were things coming from a place of worthiness, of mm-hmm. worthy now. It, it, none of the things that I did that year and since then have been from a place of having to prove that I'm good enough. They've been from a place of, I already am good enough, now what do I wanna do with that? Hmm. And um, it was a really powerful year. I didn't exercise that whole year, which partly had to do with my health because I had just run my body into the ground with a lot of crazy long distance sports events and things like that. And so I did walking and yoga for the mm-hmm. whole year, that's it. Some some months would go by where I would do nothing.
1: Are you saying that those are not forms of exercise?
2: No, no, no. No, <laughs> no not at all. I'm not saying that that's at all. That's all I'm doing. <clears throat> I think for me I I had to be coming from this place of like accepting that nothing is enough. Yeah. Nothing is enough and yoga is enough and that's coming from someone who, you know, would go do an ultra marathon Hmm. so I mean we're talking huge extremes and it was very challenging for me but it felt so good it felt so good to not be requiring myself to be doing something
1: yeah that
2: I highly recommend it for all of you chronic (laughs) overachievers out there yeah
1: Yeah. and there's a few of us and that it's so funny I could have just I could have told that same story I mean I for years you know I did extreme forms of exercise and I was a boxer and you know that was I mean I thought that I hated yoga because it was boring and lazy and you know all of these things and I got to a point where I more or less kept injuring myself and and was my body was in bad shape and I had to kind of let that all go and in the subsequent years like I've just yeah I mean yoga it's enough I'm enough I, I love that. I actually recently my my old boxing coach reached out to me and and was trying to convince me to come back. And I hope I I hope he does listen to this. I hope he doesn't listen to this. But I you know I I was so it was so hard for me to say no. Like I I even just like it felt like peer pressure. It felt like you know I have it felt like that old feeling of. I'm not if i if I don't do this, if I don't go back to this thing that like used to be such a big part of me, and that you know I used to like really need to feel good about myself, then i'm you know then I'm not good enough and you know, and he kind of probed like why i wasn't why I wasn't willing to come back and and I felt like I had to justify it I felt like I had to be like, well, you know, like my chiropractor says, and like <laughs> it's it's not about that it's about that like I've chosen something different, and that is being being present and being like. Okay with where I am.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I want to just speak into that a little bit because one of the things that I was doing before I took my year off was CrossFit. Hmm. And I loved it. I mean, I went straight from doing long distance triathlon to I was like, oh, I'm burnt out from triathlon. What will I do? I will go do CrossFit, the most relaxing thing in the world. Um, (laughs) And I really, I was like super, like I had to like beat everybody. I was like feeling like comparing all the time and competitive. And um, then I, then I, had like zero cortisol in my body. Like I I was in deep adrenal fatigue, which is why I was sort of forced to stop and then I used it as an opportunity to really learn. And I did go back to CrossFit, but I had to be really mindful Hmm. about why I was doing it. And I still, I mean, I, I work out at my CrossFit gym about three times a week, and I still have to be very careful to not get into that place of comparison yeah. and i do it not because i'm trying to prove anything i just really like it yeah and i think that and i also really like yoga and i really like going for a walk and what do i not really like doing right now running mm. <laughs> And that's so okay. I think for some reason, especially when it comes to exercise and physical things, we feel like there has to be one certain way to do it. And when we just allow, allow our bodies to show us what it needs and what it wants, then it makes it so much easier.
1: Yeah, And then if we haven't pushed ourselves to the max, that it wasn't even worth it.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. Like if I didn't like just punish myself. myself,
1: if I didn't just completely demolish my body, then, you know, I've, I've accomplished nothing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a rare breed at my CrossFit gym. I think people are like, Kelly is a weird one
1: because
2: <laughs> I don't get caught up in all of that, you know, right. like having to get a PR every time or whatever. It's really about I do it for me. I do it because I like it. I like how it makes me feel. And it's not to impress anybody or to achieve anything. It's just for me.
1: Yeah. How do you share these, you know, this, this space or this way of being with your children, both in parenting, but also in how you kind of hope to,
2: you know, shape them? That is something I haven't quite figured out yet, you guys, to be, to okay, be let's totally out transparent. right now, I guess I want to know. <laughs> um, yeah, can you tell me how to do that? <clears throat> I They see how I live mm-hmm. and I talk to them about it. I talk to them about what it means to be good enough. I talk to them about understanding who we are and listening to what our gut tells us. Yeah but you know what? they have to learn it on their own, too. Sure. And so I feel like I'm laying the foundation for that for them. But when it comes to it, they're going to have to experience their own lessons and learn it in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. And while my learning can help them, it can't learn it for them. Yeah. So, um, and they roll their eyes at me. Oh, my gosh. Like... I'm like the woo in, in my family. My husband's an engineer. and Mm. He's like black and white. Everything is like super realistic. And I'm like in la la land up here, you know, in woo world. And I think sometimes my kids just roll my eyes at, roll their eyes at me. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. You'll get it one day. Yeah. Yeah. I would love, I'd love to, you know, I mean, it's such a
1: hard thing to, I that's so, such a good way to put it. Like they do have to learn it for themselves. And I think a lot, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the one that is like getting these things across to my kids that like, this is my job. This is my responsibility. Like, you know, I'm going to send them into the world and they need to have, you know, absorbed this kind of base, baseline of, you know, values and and qualities that, that are important to me. And it's not something it coming back to the control. It's not something we can control.
2: No, I pray a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I I feel like for me, I journal a lot about it. It's a lot of inner work of, of surrender Mm -hmm. and letting go and honoring what I know to be true. And I feel like if I continue to do that, then that's, that's the best that I can do.
0: Yeah. Well, that's... I think that you know you can definitely have parallels between the way we're talking about exercise or physical activity and how you how you parent. I think sometimes it's easy to think of all the things that you need to do and all the ways in which you're failing and all the ways in which you need to be better, and to almost almost to approach parenting like a, a war or a battle that you're constantly strategizing. You're constantly going back to the drawing board, you're re, you know repositioning. You guys are coming up with better ideas. And the reality is it's, it's actually something you should enjoy. Hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. It
2: should be fun. It should yeah. be fun. And we should acknowledge what we're doing because yeah. Yeah. it's hard work and, you know, give yourself some credit, ladies, give yourself credit for what you're doing every single day. I rejoice every evening that my children are alive. Yeah, like nobody killed each other. Fantastic. <laughs>
1: I had that moment last night when I was on solo bedtime again. That's uh, I'm really struggling with this like two bedtime thing when, when I'm on my own. So I did that last night. I really patted myself on the back when I went when everyone was asleep and there was like no real tears or like damaged egos or anything like that.
2: hmm. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I had one of my children who I won't name because they, if they ever listen to this, God forbid, he went for two years without wearing underwear (laughs) and I just let it go. Yeah. I was like, you know, I just don't want to fight about it. I'm just, he just will learn one day he'll start. And, and now I'm happy to say he wears underwear underwear without,
1: without coercion. (laughs) exactly that's good that sounds a lot like my son I mean the phases he goes through are just they're just outrageous they really Mm -hmm. are so Kelly as we're wrapping up if there's something you would share with our guests and we kind of I think we've gotten a really really good feel for you know for what your heart is for mothers if there's one thing you could say to the moms that are listening who are undoubtedly you know facing these same challenges and, and feeling the same inadequacies what would you say to them
2: you are enough you are enough right now you are you are enough tomorrow you were enough yesterday and when when you can tap into that that's when you will find what you seek joy peace loving on your kids all of that Mm -hmm. Well,
1: will you tell us a little bit about some of the some of the ways that our guests can find you and any of the projects that you're working on? We can share in the show notes.
2: Sure. So you can check out my website at kellycovert.com, and that talks all about what inner voice coaching looks like, what it feels like, and um, I would love to invite all of your listeners to join me in my group, the Worthy Collective which is my free Facebook community where I invite women to join me in creating a movement of women who believe that they're enough now and they're ready to lay aside their perfectionism, to lay aside their chronic overachieving and understand that they don't have to perform mm. anymore for that worthiness. So that's just a community I'm building where we, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time and we practice that's really what it's about. It's about practicing. And so I would love to extend an invitation to all of you to join me there. It's great. We have a great group of women. And then also, you guys can check out my podcast in Her Voice. And Melissa is going to be coming on soon. So I'm sure that you guys will be putting that out there. Yeah, we will. Yeah, this is my, I do an interview and a solo episode every week. And it's really about just diving into this idea of when we listen and connect with our inner voice, that's when we will be living the life we desire. And I talk to women of all walks of life about how they do that and what it looks like and what it feels like so we can learn from them.
1: Okay, cool. Well, we will share links to, to the podcast and your website and, um, more info on your Facebook group the Worthy
0: Collective as well where Wonderful. everybody can thank check you. that out thank yeah. you thank so much Kelly and thanks for sharing such positive words with our listeners yeah.
2: oh it's been my great pleasure thank you guys
0: for having me on
2: yeah thank you very much
0: thanks for listening to Motherbirth today if you want to be a bigger part of our community you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook where we have all kinds of behind the scenes stuff going on also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Laura and Lisa. It's intended as general information. doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant or in the postpartum period.